You're listening to the Christ-Centered Conversation Podcast, where we share and hold conversations to engage, empower, and enliven. We hope you enjoy this episode. God bless. Hi, and welcome back to another episode. So I'm very pleased to say that we have a very special episode today. So I have a friend of mine here, okay, James. Okay, so James can say hi. Hi, hello. Hi, yes, so James is here and he's here for a very special episode. So today the theme is actually um, being a pilgrim, right, in today's world. So just wanted to give some background about uh, who, who James is and you know, what he's going to be sharing with us today. So um, myself and James, uh, we used to uh, stay in this uh, Catholic chaplaincy house when we were studying in London and this is where I got to know James. And one thing that really struck me about James was uh, his love for pilgrimages, right? So he really loves to travel. And I think what's very interesting also about the perspective that he's presenting today is that he likes to go on various pilgrimages. And I feel that this has really brought him a lot of spiritual solace, right? And deepened a lot of his areas of spiritual life. So very, very pleased. And we are very honored that we have uh, James here today. So maybe we just uh, start off uh, by asking James, so where exactly have you traveled so far on pilgrimage? Um, I've had the opportunity to visit some of the famous pilgrimage sites um, like Our Lady of Fatima and Santiago de Compostela. I've also visited the, the Vatican and the different basilicas in Rome. So some of them containing uh, relics like the chains of St. Peter and Paul and the manger of Jesus Christ. So this is like, wow, these are like very, very interesting areas. So there's a lot of like uh, historical significance, would you say? Yes, definitely. So what, uh, what actually like motivated you and made you so, you know, inspired to want to go on these pilgrimages? Um, maybe for a start, um, the, the first one that I've, uh, that I've gone to was um, Lady of Fatima. Actually, that was more of a... Of an, attra- of an attraction than a pilgrimage for me because it was a short bus ride from Lisbon. So my friends and I decided to include Fatima in our program. But, and when we were there, I remembered it was a large compound with two basilicas on each end and the Marian shrine um, at the middle. Um, I must have been there during the low season as I recall that there were not many people. But I do remember an area where pilgrims uh, lit votive candles and some even went to the extent of burning life-size wax figures of the shepherd children. A wow, practice that I, mean, I found rather peculiar. Yeah. I mean, life-size as in like, yes. as, wow, okay. So what, what uh, did you participate in this or were you more of like an onlooker? Uh, more of an onlooker, but they were selling wow. many of the life-size figures. And of course, it's, wow, so- it, it's, uh, it's the, the shepherd children, right? So it's quite, they're quite short now. Oh, so like there's a lot of like uh, these various sort of um, like little items that were on display and, yes. and uh, the people there also used it as like a form of like offerings, right? Yes. Uh, at these at these marriage shrines. So yes. like is, is there any deep memory from uh, visiting Our Lady at Fatima? Um, I remember uh, seeing the statue of um, Our Lady of Fatima at the shrine. And that's and on her crown, it there is the the bullet that um, 
that 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 hit um, John Paul II during his uh, assassination attempt. So oh, that's they, a very very like significant like yeah, symbol, right? Because apparently yeah. one of the one of the three secrets of Fatima, one of them, uh, it's the uh, assassination attempt on the Pope. Wow. Yeah. So it really holds like very deep meaning for uh, Pope John Paul yes. also as well, right? Our yeah. Lady. Yeah, it's like really like protecting him and. I, I think that, you know, for a lot of us, you know, when we just read about Our Lady of Fatima, we just, you know, like, that's our only interaction with it. But it's so amazing that you've actually been to this place where all of these, like, apparitions were happening. So, yes. you were also saying, yeah, you know, just now about how you also travelled to Santiago, to Compostela. Ah, yes. So, that was in 2016. Um, my friend and I did the, the Camino de Santiago, uh, also known as the Way of St. James. And uh, we chose a five-day route. And interestingly, you are called James as well. <laughs> yes. Uh, we chose a five-day route, which would eventually lead us to the shrine of St. James at Santiago de Compostela, where okay. tradition has it that the remains of the saints are buried. Wow. So how, exactly how long was this journey? And where did you start the journey? Okay. I actually started in uh, at a, a city not too far away from Santiago. The funny thing is we chose the the minimum five-day route to hit the 100-kilometer uh, target in order to get a certificate. <laughs> so you get a certificate at the end of the, this yes, journey? Yes, if only you hit 100 kilometers. But how do you prove that you have, you know, walk? Along, you have to walk away? Um, you, you will have the... You have you have you will have what they call a pilgrim's passport, which is a very uh, interesting wow. little the book, and you can actually collect um, stamps along the way. So when you reach a new area or you reach a new town, uh, you will get the stamp of the town. So they so will just know, to like indicate that you have been there. Yes, so they will know where you came from, and oh, they this know is the like minimum a, distance that you have traveled to get there. Yes. Yes. So did you manage? You did you manage to uh, fill up this booklet? Um, during the five days, yes. Um, but and then uh, we met other people. And wow! And what type of people did you? What kind of maybe you can tell us a bit about the people that you actually met along the way? Some, not all of them are there for pilgrimage per se. Some of them are just um, people who take it like a like a sport. You see. A trekking oh, okay. route. So, so just, everyone is there for religious reasons. But some of them are actually there to really like walk the way la, of like St. James. And yes. Really walk the step. Actually, the, I, if I'm not wrong, this is like, was a very popular route, right? For pilgrims like, yes. uh, in the past. Yes. Even back, I think back, uh, even in the Middle Ages or something like that, that people were like really like all journeying towards uh this this place, right? It was uh, a very famous kind of... pilgrim route. Wow. Okay. And then even in like you know here you said you were there in twenty sixteen, right? Yeah. Like in twenty sixteen, you're walking the same route mm-hmm. as these pilgrims were like so many years ago. Well, that's like simply, wow, that is simply amazing. And it's quite yeah, humbling so... to me because uh we, we we were doing what they did in the past, but our journey, at least me and my friend. Our, our journey was nowhere near as treacherous as death. Oh, yes, I'm sure that there must be, it must have been more dangerous and, you know, people, like, for example, they needed, like, food and water, stopped to rest and yeah. everything, right, along the way. 
Yeah, and so like, yeah, so a lot of like in the modern day, uh, things are much different. So, wow, really, thanks for really sharing like all of these uh, various uh, pilgrim spots. But now we've been like focusing so much on the West. Would you tell me about what's happening to Christianity in the East as well? Because I know, I know that you really, and you really have a very deep interest in this. Okay, so apart from these two famous sites, um, I wanted to share more about my visit last year to a much lesser known area, but what I felt was of deeper spiritual meaning. I was in Japan uh, in May last year and I decided to travel to Nagasaki. Uh, Japan might not be the first country that springs to mind when pilgrimage, pilgrimage is concerned. And Nagasaki is certainly more well-known as a city where the, where the atomic bomb was detonated. Yes, that's like one of our main associations. Yeah. But based on what you're saying, that there's much more that we don't know, right? Yes. About its history. Um, Japan has only about 1% of the population being Christians. And here's a fun fact. Nagasaki has the second most number of Christians living in Japan, ranking after Tokyo. But I think it has oh, a richer, richer Christian his, uh, heritage than anywhere else in the country. And why do you, why do you think it has such a rich history? Okay, um, not many might know this, but Nagasaki Prefecture was registered as a UNESCO World Heritage Site for its hidden Christian sites in 2018. Wow, hidden Christianity. Um, the hidden Christians are it's, it's a unique community of Japanese Christians who practiced the faith in secret when Christianity was illegal, uh, sometime between the 16th to the 19th century. And uh, just a very brief history about Japanese Catholicism to give our listeners some context. Christianity was introduced to Japan for the first time by St. Francis Xavier in 1549. And following St. Francis, more Jesuits and missionaries from other religious orders came to Nagasaki region. Um, the, the missions were successful and many Japanese were eventually baptized, but unfortunately by the early 17th century, Christianity was outlawed and all missionaries were expelled. So no missionaries could enter Japan. And um, foreign priests who remained to serve the faithful were eventually captured and killed. This really reminds me of that book, I think, that you lent me uh, last time in university. I think it's called, the book is called Silence, if I'm not wrong. Yes. Like, how does that yeah, have to? What does that have to do with like all of this uh, larger narrative that you were talking about with regards to Christianity in Japan? Because si the book Silence is by this um, author, Japanese Catholic author um, Shusaku Endo, and uh, most people might be more familiar with um, Catholic authors from the West, like um, yeah. Graham Greene, G.K. Chesterton. So I was intrigued when I found about found out about Shusaku Endo, who wrote from the perspective of a, of a Japanese Roman Catholic. And in fact, there was a movie a few years ago directed oh, by yes. uh, Martin Scorsese. So that, that movie was, was based on the famous, There were some famous people right, inside uh, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we had um, Adam Driver and uh, what's his name? The one that, that acted Spider-Man. Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield, yes. So both of them, they acted as Jesuits who who at that time um, went to Japan to, to look for that, that teacher who, who was uh, suspected of uh, committing uh, apostat uh, apostatize, you know, and they wanted to find out more about, about the teacher and then they met local Christians. 
Well, so it's like a very interesting, I think also that it brings it into like the wider public sphere, right? To actually know about Christianity in Japan, to have this kind of like blockbuster movie, right? With all of these these actors. But do you feel like, like let's say you were in their shoes, do you think that you would be able to really like hold on to your faith? And, and I recall also you were saying something about, you know, apostasy, right? So how do you, how were people kind of like, uh, you know, sort of instigated to apostatize. Like what would what would they have been asked to do in this, such a case? So uh, one of the torments that the hidden Christians had to endure was uh, they had to, they were gathered um, once every year, I think, by the authorities, and they had to um, trample on this uh, image, this bronze image. Uh, they call it the fumie. So it's an image of Jesus or, or the Virgin Mary, and they are supposed to step and desecrate it this will oh prove, this will prove that they are not Christians, because at that time Christianity was outlawed. Okay, so oh. this kind of like mirrors also the persecution that we have seen right throughout history of like, yes, yes. like Christianity. Yeah, so they had to step on uh, a, a bronze image of this this crucifix. But you feel like if you were in, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't thinking about if I put myself in their shoes, like whether you and me, you know, would we be able to? To really like claim the faith and you know really like see it to the end, it's like very, it's a very interesting thought. Like how how do you feel about that? Yes, this is um you know sometimes I I, I think to myself um if I were in that circumstances, um will I do it? Because if I don't do it, um I I'll be arrested, I'll be killed. If I do it, you know, uh apostatize. <laughs> Yeah, you you yeah. abandon the faith in public, huh? so this is public. Yeah, you're telling the whole so, world that you are not. You see, so and, mm, um, yeah, and you know, and to really think that you know, like like you know, like Jesus himself like died on a cross for you, and you yourself can't even like bring yourself to like you know claim him, like as a king. And I think it like it. I think there's a lot of mixed emotions also. I'm sure when you have been at some of these pilgrimage sites, right? It's it's very heavy. With a lot yeah. of like emotion, yeah, and, and history. So like, how did you how do you feel also like when you go to some of these like spiritual uh pilgrimage sites? Okay, um, back to the book, right? Um, silence. So they are. It was actually based on a specific community in Nagasaki, in in this area called Sotome. So uh, there is a village in it's a coastal region of Nagasaki. And I actually managed to visit this village. It was quite far away from uh, Nagasaki City. And I, I, I remember taking a bus. I think it was about two, two hours from, from the main city. And along the way, uh, you, I could see you know, churches and even a Christian cemetery, which would suggest the, the, the Christian heritage of the, of the area. And that would be so interesting in Japan, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you... It, I mean, in Japan, in most most of the Japanese cities, you don't really see churches, or okay, maybe in Tokyo you do, but in in other cities, Japan, yeah. yes, because in Japan we know that there are very very few Christians, very few, and um, two of the sites that were listed on the UNESCO World Heritage, two of them are actually in the Sotome region, but I managed to visit one. And it's known as the Shitsu Village. And uh, when I was there, there was this um, Sotome Museum of History and Folklore, 
Now, this museum contains many religious artifacts that were actually used by the hidden Christians. Wow, so like, like crucifixes and religious like relics. Yes. Um, one interesting thing about hidden Christians is that okay, practicing the faith in secret is not new because back, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, even back in the Roman times when Christianity was outlawed, they, they do it in secret. But in, in Japan, they had to... Uh, because every family had to register with uh, with a temple, because at that time it was Buddhism. Oh, I see. So in so so they they are leading double lives, okay. So wow. In public they are they are Buddhists, and and but at home at home they are Christians. Now this is very interesting because it's it's um even at home they have um, a Buddhist uh what a Buddhist altar. But most of the time, this author is is meant to is meant to deceive the authorities, and even the statues used by the, the statues that they have, um, uh, one of them is um, uh, Guan Ying, you know, Guan Ying, the Buddhist. Uh, oh, Guan Ying, yes. yes. So they they yes. have a Guan Ying statue, but if you take a closer look, the Guan Ying um, has a cross right at the oh, yeah, wow. near near near, oh. near the heart. So. Uh, the authorities won't won't go and you know they, they won't and clamp down on that. Yeah. Oh, but they know okay, Guaning is there. Okay, you are Buddhist, all right. Oh. And some uh Guaning statue has a child it's carrying a child, so that oh. that represented very much the like Guan the Virgin represented the Virgin Mary in disguise. Oh wow! So wow, they really went to very great lengths to. And to continue, in, to, yes. Like, in, the, in the in the museum, um, some of uh, the artifacts included the uh, the catechism that they were actually disguised as Buddhist prayer books. Oh wow! Yeah. So it was like it looked from the outside like a like a like a Buddhist prayer book, but actually inside it was actually the our the Catholic catechism. That yes. We are yes. And, with. and even the village uh, Baptist uh, baptismal records. So they have this book, well, and then they they hide oh, it. Wow. They hide it like what? Like how do they hide it? I think I think in the cover they were uh, it was meant to look like some Buddhist books. So oh. yeah, but when when you flip it open, actually there are names of people at that time who were ah who were baptized, who, who were baptized into the faith. Yes, and how oh. and actually because when Japan was closed, no priests could come in. So, which means that during this time of uh, isolation, uh, I think about 200 over years, uh, these, these Christians, uh, they have no access to the sacraments because there are no priests. There are no priests to, do, to sort of really like deliver these sacraments to them, right? Or to yes, there are no priests. Yeah. So, sometimes... Yeah. Um, uh, People have to step in or like... Is- the lay people we have the lay people teaching them so over time of course without the aid of of uh priests uh sometimes their practices might not might might be contrary to what we know today and remember because Because yeah and remember because they had to use um uh, buddhist and shinto practices to to conceal their faith conceal the fact that they were Practicing their faith. Yeah, so somehow it became like a folk religion. So it's something that was passed down from 
ancestors down, you know, to your kids and uh, so they, they hold as as though it was a, a a religion from the from their ancestors. Oh, because of like one of all the unique circumstances, you know, like that's how like Catholicism actually kind of like managed to like find its way down the generations, right, to current yeah, Japanese. Oh, it's like a yeah, that's a very a very touching story. So like for me I feel like well it really brings out a lot of uh things to feel very grateful for. Like I don't know about you, but like you know, in this current COVID nineteen pandemic, sometimes we might feel like we are not really able to access some of these sacraments, right? Like for example, going for mass and you know, to be able to uh, adore the blessed sacrament, you know, in, in a in an adoration room somewhere, let's say in the cathedral. And to think that actually like you know many years uh, before you know and centuries before there have been like people who have been like fighting so hard to really you know preserve their faith going to so many great lengths as you just said right so like the buddhist you know using buddhist prayer books and stuff and i think it like really makes us actually more uh, aware of like how priceless this this faith is so like i i don't know how you also feel about it too james but I was just reading uh, earlier this day about uh, this Sunday's reading. So it's saying that our faith is like this uh, pearl of great price, right? And sometimes we have to like sell all we own. And in this case, all of these people uh, over the over the centuries and millennia, they have like really sacrificed in order to be able to practice their faith. And, and I feel that, you know, for you, like, you know, walking in their footsteps, it must be a very, very humbling experience. Like, so you know, kind of like bringing back also to the spiritual life. How do you feel that going on all these pilgrimages, how is it really like fed into your own spiritual life and your own like uh, relationship with uh, with God? It has definitely um, humbled me, you know, because uh, many, many times, you know, I tend to take my faith for granted, you know. I think that, oh, um, everyone in the world, you know, it's free to walk into church for mass on Sundays. Actually, that's not true, and we are. And I'm fortunate that you know I live in a in a part of the world where we are free to practice our faith. You know, uh, even today, it's, it's it's not too long ago that we hear our Christian brothers and sisters in troubled areas of say the Middle East being chased out from their homelands and uh, ended up as refugees. So for me, the pilgrimage to Nagasaki is a constant reminder to be grateful for the many blessings that God has given me and not to take my faith and religious freedom for granted. And yeah, I just, I just find this whole idea of like, you know, pilgrimage, a very, very, uh, very precious thing that sometimes we also kind of forget in our own spiritual journey. So like, you know, you physically going on pilgrimage, you know, to places like Fatima, to Santiago and, and to Japan, like Nagasaki, right? It also like feeds into our own wider pilgrimages that we all are on actually to like know the father and to really like you know understand our and practice our faith and how the fact that all of us are actually also pilgrims on this journey towards you know the kingdom of heaven like in in line with like tomorrow's uh, reading so I really uh, thank you so much James for sharing all of your very deep experiences and really happy that you know you're, you're you've been here to really break bread with us and to share with us your experiences about pilgrimages. Thank you so much, James. Thank you for having me. Thank you.